Hello and welcome to the Simply Christian Life. My name is Michael Burkle-Hun, and in addition to being your host for this podcast, it is my joy to be the Bishop of the Episcopal Diocese of the Rio Grande, a beautiful part of God's creation that encompasses the entire state of New Mexico and the far west part of Texas. This is season two of the podcast, and we are in Lent of the year 2020, and we are reading right from the Bible, the first letter of Peter together. This is chapter one. Chapter one opens by Peter addressing the letter to the churches. He reads like this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen and destined by God the Father and sanctified by the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and to be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in abundance. This is a letter that was designed to be circulated. It was sent to churches in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. That the idea was that the congregation might take the letter and read it and then send it on to the next church nearby. This is an early example of the way the apostles, those followers of Jesus who were leading the churches, communicated. And starting with verse 3 of chapter 1, Peter rolls up his sleeves and gets right down to it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he writes. By his great mercy he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. It's clear from this opening that he is writing to a community that is going through hard times. This is a community that is suffering. Each of these churches is suffering. They are uh, a people whose inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, but it's being kept in heaven, and it's not, it's not present right now. In this you rejoice, even if now for a little while you have had to suffer various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold, that though perishable is tested by fire, your faith may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Although you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy. For you are receiving the outcome of your faith and the salvation of your souls. There is an element here in the first chapter of the first letter of Peter, an element about delayed gratification. There's a sense in which the justice and the glory that the, uh, that the churches are looking for is not present here now. They're hoping for something they cannot see. There have been criticisms from time to time from people who criticize the Christian faith for inviting poor people or people who are falling on hard times to postpone their gratification instead of rising up in revolution. 
there is a sense in which this delayed gratification, this sense of, well, you're suffering now, but don't worry, God is going to reward you in heaven, that this could be used in order to encourage people not to work too hard to change their current lot in life because that uh, gratification is delayed. And I understand that concern, particularly if the suggestion is that people in power in our society, people with power, are telling the poor to be content with what they have, not to rise up, not to look for change. For example, when these words, or words like these from the Bible, were used by white slave owners to tell their, the people that they were enslaving that the enslaved people should accept their lot in life because God would reward them in the future, that is clearly wrong. However, we have to recognize that when this text was written, it was written by a minority to a minority. That is, this is a message from within an oppressed people. So this is a letter from the author of the first letter of Peter to the churches, and both the author and the churches are among those who don't have the power right now. This letter is about how do you get by when you don't have the power in society? How do you get by when you are in the minority? And two things are important for us to remember as we read this entire letter. First, God is on the side of those who are being oppressed. That's very clear from the text. God is with and on the side of the people here, the people whose inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. That inheritance is going to the people who are oppressed followers of Jesus here. It doesn't belong to those in power. And there's a very important sense in which In this letter, as throughout early Christianity, and even up until this day, it is clear that those who have power now are not the ones that God is with. But in fact, God is with those who are uh, suffering in the first letter of Peter. So that's the first thing to remember. When we are asking, where is God in the midst of this? God is with those who uh, who are suffering, those who have faith. In this you rejoice, even now for a little while you have had to suffer various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold, may be revealed. Although you have not seen Christ, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy. So when there are those moments in our lives when when the presence of Christ is not tangible for us, when we feel like we are miles away from God and Jesus Christ, like God doesn't care about us, we are suffering. If we are interested in that prosperity gospel that says, if you're with God, you're succeeding in this world, and if you're not with God, you're failing in this world, that is plainly not the message that comes right out of the Bible here. The message coming out of the Bible here is that what matters is, are you being faithful to God and Jesus Christ? And it's very clear that there are times when faithful people will suffer, times when faithful people will not feel the near presence of God, which reminds me of when uh, Mother Teresa was, you know, who everybody would say is close to God, if anybody is, for heaven's sake, it's Mother Teresa, right? And yet, when you read her diaries, 
she is very uh, vulnerable and open and often saying, I don't feel the presence or encouragement of Jesus Christ. And that is where there are moments when we don't see God, we don't see Jesus, we don't feel that sense of deep connection and support from the divine, and instead we are called in those moments not to say, well, because I don't feel God, God is not with me. Instead we are called to say, because I don't feel God right now, I will have faith anyway. So that's the first point. That God is on the side of those who are being oppressed right here. That God is with them. And that God is, is going to reward their faith. And, and the second point is this. By drawing near to God, we can experience right now in the flesh the true reality of God's creation. And we can experience right now in the flesh the reality of our salvation. And so it says, uh, for you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Even though we may not feel the immediate presence of God in Jesus Christ, we can receive that salvation in this world right now. So the two points are, number one, don't forget that God is on the side of those who are faithful but being oppressed right now. God is not upholding and standing on the side with the ruling classes here. Remember from uh, the introduction, Peter is writing here to the exiles of the dispersion, people who don't have a lot of power, people who are mostly poor. And and what what the author of the first letter of Peter is saying to them is, God is with you. And the second thing is, you will feel and experience the presence of God, the reality of the kingdom of God right here, right now. As an old bishop friend of mine used to say, the kingdom of God is breaking in. The kingdom of God is in breaking into this life right here and right now. And you can be a part of it and you can experience it. This letter is a good example of some important principles that are important to keep in mind whenever it comes to reading Scripture. First, when we're reading a letter like the first letter of Peter, we need to take into account the fact of the context in which the Scripture was written. So, the context of First Peter of the late 1st century, early 2nd century contact when Peter was writing to the exiles of the dispersion, we need to understand that context in which the scripture was written, and we have to take that into account. This is how we understand the truth which those who wrote this book were trying to communicate to the people who were the first audience, the, the intended audience of this letter. Second, the context in which we read it also matters. We cannot simply take the text as it's written and assume that it means today exactly what it meant in those days. The truth contained in Holy Scripture, that which is necessary for our salvation, is still here in the text. This is a holy text. I don't want to hear you say that, oh, uh, Michael Hun said that the, the Bible is not really true. No, 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 no. Listen to me, folks. What I'm saying is that the Bible contains all things necessary to salvation. But that does not mean that the context in which this was written is exactly the same as our context. And so, so for example, we need to read this text closely and understand the, the audience 
that was being addressed and understand the truths that were being communicated to that audience. And then we need to uh, apply those in our context today. So, for example, if, if we were enslaved people, people being enslaved and oppressed, we should not read this letter and say, oh, well, God is happy that we are enslaved. God is happy that we are being oppressed. Not at all. What the text says here is, although you are suffering right now, although the trials are happening right now, that does not mean that God is not with you. Instead, take it as an opportunity when you are suffering. Take it as an opportunity to deepen your faith, to increase your faith in Jesus Christ. That's what the scripture is calling us to do. First of all, when you're suffering, deepen your faith. Second, and remember as your faith is deepening, God is with you. Second, the inbreaking of God into your life and reality is happening, and you can experience it right now. The way God looks at the world is not the way our society looks at the world. Our society looks at us and judges us by how pretty we are, uh, how rich we are, the kind of car we drive, uh, how, that sort of thing. And, and so the kind of popularity and power games that the world plays is not the way the kingdom of God operates. In terms of God's eyes, every single one of us is precious. Every single one of us is treasured. And what God cares about with us is our faith, the quality of our hearts, the character of our lives. God sees right into our hearts, and it is that which God is paying attention to. And so, if you're a person of faith, having faith, the genuineness of your faith, as it says right there in chapter 1, verse 7, the genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold. And when gold is very precious, it's tested by fire so too your faith will be tested in this world. And that's not a sign that God wants you to suffer. No. Instead, it is a sign that God is with you, even though this world makes us suffer. Let's move on now to verse 10. The author of the first letter of Peter writes, Concerning this salvation... The prophets who prophesied of the grace that was to be yours made a careful search and inquiry, inquiring about the person or time that the Spirit of Christ within them indicated when it testified in advance to the sufferings destined for Christ and the subsequent glory. You can get a sense just by that sentence structure that, as we said in the the intro episode, the the author of the first letter of Peter was, was a pretty sophisticated with the Greek language, putting these complicated clauses together. And it's a little bit tricky to unpack that. What it says there in verse 10 is that concerning the salvation of our souls, the prophets prophesied of that in advance, and they were speaking about Christ. In verse 12 it says, It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in regard to those things that have now been announced to you through those who brought you the good news by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So what's being said here is the the prophets of old were serving you. They were serving you, the followers of Jesus Christ, when uh, when they said, God is coming, God is sending a Savior. 
And because God is sending a Savior, because we are in touch with that Savior, Jesus Christ, who suffered himself and rose from the dead. If you think that, that God, that, that being a part of the Christian life means you'll never suffer, sorry to tell you, that's not the case. Look at Jesus. Jesus was God himself in the flesh. Jesus remains God in the flesh, and yet Jesus suffered and suffered uh, on our behalf as well. So it says there in the, the opening of the first chapter that this salvation which was predicted by the prophets, this salvation which God is carefully holding for us, this salvation which as we struggle here on earth is still palpable and available to us, this salvation is the thing that is more precious than anything that the world has to offer, and it is more precious than anything the world has to give. Therefore, it says in chapter 13, prepare your minds for action. Discipline yourselves. Set all your hope on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring you when he is revealed. Like obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires that you formerly had in ignorance. Instead, as he who called you is holy, be holy yourselves in your conduct. For it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. So because God has called us, because God is breaking into our reality and bringing that salvation in a way we can experience right now, even though we're suffering, God is reminding us that the way the world values things is not God's way. And that if we in faith stay true, stay holy, stay set apart from the way the world thinks and the way the world re- rewards, you know, with wealth and with power and prestige. If we let the world do that while staying focused on what God is calling us to be, to be kind, to be gentle. Remember the teachings of Jesus. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are you when you love your enemies. There is in this uh, salvation that God is Uh, promising, like a buried treasure within our world, we can have access to that salvation of God in our daily life, but only if we are led by our hearts with faith instead of being led by the values of the world. He who called you is holy. Be holy yourselves in all your conduct. For it is written, you shall be holy, you shall be set apart. That's what holiness means. It means to be set apart, distinguished from, not a part of the world. The way the world values and looks at things is not the way God does. And so being set, step apart from that. You shall be holy for I am holy, as it is written. If you invoke as father, the one who judges all people impartially according to their deeds, Live in reverent fear during the time of your exile. You know that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without defect or blemish, he was destined before the foundation of the world, but was revealed at the end of the ages for your sake. Through him you have come to trust in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are set on God. Here it says that God does not interact with the world in the way that we might expect. Instead of showering uh, Jesus Christ with gold and silver, Jesus came and uh, paid for us 
ransomed us, redeemed us, not with cash, not with gold and silver or perishable things, but rather with the very life of Jesus Christ. He, he gave us his body and blood that we might be a part of the body of Christ and so be holy, set apart from the ways of this world that are focused on money, that are focused on cash, that are focused on the things that are passing away. We're now on verse 22. Now that you have purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, so that you have genuine mutual love, love one another deeply from the heart. Because Jesus Christ is in our lives, we therefore discipline ourselves. We set all our hope on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring, and we show that, we, we show our obedience to that truth by having genuine, mutual love. To love one, one another deeply from the heart. Genuine, mutual love. This genuine, mutual love which is being talked about is what God is really about. It's where the power of the creator of the universe breaks in, where the kingdom of, the God, of God breaks in to our world. And what does it look like? It looks like uh, what, what some are calling the beloved community. It's a community of people who are genuinely obedient to the truth so that we have genuine mutual love. Love that is from the heart so that we love one another deeply from the heart. And there are real practical consequences to that. We cannot pretend that we are living in beloved community if some of us are rich and some of us are poor. If some of us have access to health care and others of us don't. If we're in this dog-eat-dog -dog kind of a world where some people are thriving and some people are suffering, that kind of dynamic is not what the beloved community looks like. So this is where we need to remember our context is different from the context in which this was written. This was written from within a community that was poor and being oppressed. So it's one thing for a, a person who is saying, hey, none of us have anything, but let's hang together, let's suffer together, because God is breaking into our lives, and as we suffer together, God will be giving us just enough to get by. God will provide for us what we need, and let's um, recognize that the ways of this world are completely different, right, from the ways of God. That kind of uh, a context is the context in which First Peter was written. But that's very different from our context. We can't simply join into the context in which this was written, but rather we might hear uh, those of us who have a comfortable way of living, those of us who are living in warmth while others are on the street, we might need to hear this letter of First Peter with a little bit of a, or quite a bit of caution there, that God is actually working towards a beloved community in which everybody's needs are met. We live in a world in which it's a dog-eat-dog -dog fight for the top and some people prosper while other people don't. If we are on the prospering end of that thing, we can't assume that God uh, likes that and that God is happy for us to have while others have not. 
And so we in uh, this context of the world today need to be careful lest we sort of spiritualize this message and say, well, you know, if we just love each other in our wealthy suburban lifestyle while others are suffering, as long as we love each other with uh, those who are like us in our neighborhood, then that's what Jesus is talking about. No, I think God in this uh, First Peter is really calling out and convicting the, the ways of this world which are passing away. Wealth and beauty and uh, uh, attractiveness and fame and all of those things that this world uh, traffics in, that is all passing away. And what God is calling us to is a deep, radical sense of connection with God in Jesus Christ. And when that spirit breaks into our hearts, we can no longer cling to our possessions as if that is what our, where our worth comes from. We can no longer say, well, I've earned this. I deserve it. I, I'm going to enjoy it. I can't say that when my neighbor is suffering, when, when I drive past someone on the street who is homeless. Rather, being a part of the beloved community is recognizing that we are all in this together and that God is calling us all to share what we have in order to create a community in which reflects the values of the kingdom of God because God values each and every human being, not just the beautiful, rich, powerful ones. God's kingdom is not in line with the ways of this world. That's the message that we get from 1 Peter. You have been born anew, not of perishable, but of imperishable seed, through the living and enduring word of God. So let's talk about seed for a minute. It is Lent, and that means it's about time to dig your garden and plant your tomatoes, depending on where you happen to live. Uh, if you're in the northern hemisphere, you, it's, it's springtime, and that means it's about time to start thinking about planting. And seed is an amazing thing. Seed has within it, each seed has within it, all of the DNA that is necessary to create an entire plant. When you are eating an ear of corn, every single one of those little kernels of corn has within it a whole uh, all the material that is necessary to create an entirely new corn stock. When you squeeze a tomato and there's all those little seeds there, if you, if you dry them out, clean them up, dry them out, and save them, each tiny little seed can become its own tomato plant, and each tomato plant can produce dozens, hundreds of uh, further tomatoes. That seed is perishable. What the letter of 1 Peter is saying to us is that uh, we have been born anew, not of perishable, but imperishable seed through the enduring word of God. To me, what that says is that the enduring word of God is imperishable seed. It contains within it the DNA of the life with God, and that that life with God with which we have been born anew, will withstand any amount of suffering. It will withstand any amount of heartache. There is a sense in which when we have that faith in God, when we draw near to God, when we practice our prayers, when we, when we live in community, 
when we show one another that genuine love from the heart, God creates in us this fertile soil out of which grows a holy life. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. All flesh is like grass. Grass is amazing stuff. It it grows up quickly, but it also can fade quickly. And yet what we are being told here in the letter of First Peter is that what God is calling us to is not the changeable, uh, come-and-go ways of the world, not the values of this world, which values you because you are rich or because you are slim or because you are pretty or because you are handsome or because you have great athletic prowess. Rather, God's love for you is much more stable than that. It will not grow old. It will not wear out. It will not rot. Rather, the love of God in Jesus Christ, which God sent to us, will take root in our heart like imperishable seed. And it will grow in our lives if we nurture it with faith. That word is the good news that was announced to you, is how the first chapter of the first letter of Peter comes to an end. I hope it has been edifying for you to read this first chapter of the first letter of Peter along with me, and I pray that you are having a holy Lent. Join me next week for chapter two. Mm-hmm.